0: Hi, my name is Rachel and I am the host of Things I Wish I'd Known. I decided to set up this podcast because A, I love talking, I love learning from people, I love conversation and B, there are so, so many things I wish I'd known in my past. So many things I wish I'd known about my mental health, about self-care about magic, mystery, spirituality, about so many things that I know now, these crazy new breakthroughs in science, frequency, sound, all kinds of things that I'm now so passionate about that I wish I'd known. And I'm hoping that by sharing these conversations with you, I'm going to be able to maybe relieve some suffering, maybe share some laughs and share some knowledge. Some of it you may think is amazing. Some of it won't resonate and that's okay. But I really, really want to get this knowledge out there. So I hope you enjoy listening to things I wish I'd known. And welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel. I am the founder of Wealth and Wellbeing, and I am here today with Ryan Lange. Ryan is a fashion and art curator, and he's also the cultural producer of Hungamar, which is a space to celebrate Bollywood in, in a queer space. And it's a a club night, basically, based on Bollywood and hip-hop, and it's epic. (laughs) There's no other way (laughs) way of describing it. I've known Ryan for for a while, and I've wanted to get him on the podcast for a long time. One of the things that limited us was just we couldn't really decide on what topic, because there were so many things that we could potentially cover. And so today we're going to be talking about people-pleasing, which I think is a really poignant subject for so many people. So welcome Ryan, thank you so much for being here.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: You're very welcome. So I don't know if you just want to tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and how you got into, because fashion and art curation is quite a niche job and quite difficult to get into, so how, how did you kind of get into doing what you're doing?
1: Yeah, well, basically, in 2010, I moved to London, I studied film production, and I found myself in a bit of a deficit because I was in school, studying film, and I knew that I had to make a graduate film, and I wanted it to be successful. But then I realized that like so many people who go to film school or even creative arts institutions, they often do the graduate collections and nothing really happens. So I kind of premeditated that I I tried to figure out where I'd be after that moment. And I realized that I probably just have a film and be broke. And I'd be trying to get my film into festivals. So I just dropped out. I also dropped out because my parents found out I was gay and they were like, we don't want to pay for your school. So I was like, what's the lesser of two evils? And then I just kind of hung out in Vancouver, Canada, where I'm from, and got a job at a cafe. And this um, man came, he'd always come every day to get soup. And he was like, you re- you're really interesting. Did you want to come and work with me? And I said, what do you do? He's like, I'm a curator. And I was like, I've never, I don't know what that means. And he was like, well, I work in an art gallery and I put on exhibitions and I'd like you to help me. I think you're quite creative. And so I helped him and he was like, you're a natural artist. You need to keep doing it. And so for some reason, I moved to London and I just tried to get a job as a curator. Couldn't. So I got a job at a pizza place. And then on the weekends, I invigilate at a gallery on Viner Street in Bethnal Green. It was then that, I guess as luck would have it, they, they didn't have a show for September of 2010. And I was like, can I do a show? I want to do a show about fashion. And they were like, all right, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I really think that fingernail art will be really popular soon. And I think it's amazing because we have all these like women and uh, like creatives around London just painting nails and Instagram had just taken off at that point. So like Mm -hmm. it was all over Instagram. And so I just like used Twitter and Instagram to get in touch with nail technicians. I wanted to do a show that showcased painterly work on the body and to look at fashion without looking at clothes. And how, because I find nail art to be so interesting that people can access high fashion and brands and pop culture just through creativity. They don't have to buy anything other than the paints or the polishes. And so I put the show together and we managed to get like the ears of everybody. And we had people like Vogue and Beyonce and Jessie J and like some of the biggest nail technicians in the world now all exhibiting. They all sent their nails or made nails or sent their editorial work to the show. And we just put on this crazy show about nails was called Menophilia. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it was really good. And so I did that and then that sort of propelled me into fashion and beauty. So I started curating shows for different brands and with different East London artists. I just kept working. Like I, I quit the gallery after the show and I just started working on my own. So I've been freelancing for 10 years. It's really difficult to put on shows because there, there's never any money to do it. You have to find the money, find the space, find the opportunity, get the press. And I hope that it will get you another another exhibition. And so I've managed to do shows over the last decade. That's how we met, because I was doing shows at our old offices.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, that's so funny. And then I think through that, I just kind of felt really empty. I didn't really feel like I knew what I was doing because I was exhibiting other people's work and I was constantly trying to reinvent the wheel and make it bigger, but I didn't really know who I was in London. So that's Mm. when I had a moment where I was like, what am I? And I was like, okay, I'm gay. I'm in East London. I am Asian. And I was like, oh my God, I'm Asian. I forgot that I'm Asian. (laughs) And so I started thinking about like, all the music that I used to listen to and all the movies I used to watch, like I just moved to London and completely blocked it out. Yeah. And so once I like opened that door, like all of these songs started coming back and all of these remixes and all of these like amazing things that really like connected me to my childhood and my mom. And so I just started to like log it all on Spotify. And then I just decided to throw a Bollywood hip hop. night. I just went to my local gay pub it was the glory in haggerston And I was like, can I do it? I and love the, the glory. Yeah, and Johnny and Johnny were so excited, they were like, Yeah, do it by all means. Like it'd be so cool to have that sound in the space. And we did it. And then after two years, we went from having like a couple of Asian people there to like having over two or three hundred at um our it's night. It's
0: mad, isn't it? It's really yeah. just blown up.
1: Yeah, it's nice. It's a space that like is really intersectional in the sense that it's not about just being queer and Asian, it's about being of a certain mindset. And yeah. it's about allowing people who don't belong anywhere to have a family through the soundscape of Bollywood music and it's like a place to be creative and to like have a voice but also like invite other people to see our culture and to see what we're like and how we celebrate and have fun and so it's created this really nice mosaic of talent and kids and creatives and I'm really happy that I get to say I was a part of it.
0: That's amazing I mean Hunger has been quite for anyone that doesn't live in London or hasn't seen it it really has blown up hasn't it I mean you've played at like Tate Lates, so you've kind of, it's really gone a bit, bit yeah, crazy.
1: When, when British Vogue called, they like, do you want to DJ our Christmas party? I was like, I'm sorry, what? Because I didn't <laughs> even know how to DJ. I, I was just playing music off Spotify and YouTube and justified by being like, this is probably how they DJ in India. And then, yeah, to have that and then be playing festivals and just be playing, like just being in the room with a lot of amazing people who are like, we love this and we love this sound and being really supportive has actually been really humbling.
0: It's interesting that you say that as well, because, and I know my DJ friends are going to literally annihilate me for saying this out loud, (laughs) but I was brought up really like in, in the jungle, right? The actual jungle, the music, the jungle. (laughs) Yeah. And so vinyl was a massive thing. Like it didn't even exist really to be, to be, you know, using CDJs, that kind of thing. It was mainly just Technic 1210s and that was it. And you could either mix or you couldn't. And then when CDJ started coming in, there was this real like rivalry, you know, like between yeah, yeah. Kind of, like vinyl heads and like people with just little USB sticks and they'd be like, they're not real DJs. And there was like Tractor and Sorrento and all those Yeah, yeah. Coming out. But when you look back at some of the other sound systems, right? Like in reggae, I used to love, we used to go to this reggae night in Brighton, it was amazing. And it was just like a guy with one record deck and then like a sound machine. And when he would change yeah. the record, he'd just put like a you know yeah. I'm gonna try and imitate the sound but <laughs> there be like a siren or you know yeah. something while well, he quickly put the next record on and found the track.
1: Oh yeah and it was
0: so epic and you're like there is you know mixing two records together or four or five or whatever if you're in the kind of DM DM mm. I can't think what the championships is, but you know, when they that is incredible. It's such an incredible, incredible skill to make a seamless mix. But also I think there's a lot of skill in just being able to pick The right track for that moment, yeah being able to like energetically read the crowd and to be able to create a set regardless of whether that
1: mix. And it's always a bit up in the air. It's like a it's a weird pick and mix when I DJ because like I could be throwing a party in East London and have it be at a gay club, but like not many people want to listen to gay anthems. They Mm. want to listen to hip hop. But Mm. then you could be in a place where everyone wants to hear Bollywood and no one wants to hear anything else. Like the crowd really fluctuates. Yeah. So. And the BPMs of Bollywood music and the BPMs of electronic music and club bangers and hip hop music are so different. Yeah. So like it, it literally is a bit like Tourette's. So like <laughs> people don't, people are so excited about the mashup that no one's really listening to what's happening. So I can get away with a bit more yeah. than other DJs who are playing one genre.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's love really that. fun.
1: It's it's really chaotic. But that's we what Hangama means. Hangama means chaos.
0: I love that, and that's very. Creative chaos.
1: <laughs> it's yes, kind of like exactly. you
0: <laughs> Compass,
1: Really, <laughs> Yeah.
0: So people pleasing. Let's get yeah. down to it. I am an absolute nightmare for this. I'll say yes to everything. I think I've mentioned this on a couple of these podcasts before. How did you come to realise that you were a people pleaser and how does that show up for you in your life?
1: I think that only recently have I noticed how much I please people. I think it's because I've a really good group of friends and my partner are always reminding me that you can't please everybody, which is in a way saying to someone you're pleasing people too much. I'm a natural host and like I I when I was a kid growing up, I'd be working as a host in restaurants and like I'd be a concierge. Like it was my job to make sure people were okay. Mm -hmm. And like even when I went to university, like I found a family in university by being a part of their orientation team, which was when kids would enter the school, they'd be given a leader to help them understand and navigate the university campus. And like, I would, it was your responsibility to take care of them. So when I started to think back about where the sort of people pleasing came from, it actually goes even further than that, because I, my relationship with my mom, she's an amazing human being, but she, she built me in a really codependent way. And so she like t- nurtured me and took care of me, but she also told me I needed to take care of her, and that like I'm valid and I'm a good person if I'm taking care of her and mm-hmm. if I'm doing everything she needs because that's what I should be doing. And so, as someone who's out and completely comfortable with their sexuality now, as when I remember back to being a kid, she didn't know that I was gay, and she didn't know what I was going through in my own internal experience. Mm-hmm. So I separated myself from who I really was and who she thought I was. And then so when I was a kid, I used to basically like freak out internally because I knew that I was something she wouldn't be comfortable with. Yeah. So I would try to go out of my way to please her and be the best son for her so she wouldn't have any any clue and she would love me and she wouldn't abandon me or be completely devastated by my actual authenticity.
0: Yeah. That must have been really difficult for you. I know that you mentioned briefly that when you came out as gay then your family stopped paying for your education yeah i mean it sounds like it was quite a complex situation for you
1: yeah i mean thinking back it was really traumatic and dramatic but like they were it was just an argument it was like you're gay and you're you're partying too much and like you're not the son we wanted we're not paying for your school mm. and like i i think the one thing that i'm proud of is in those moments was uh, being a people pleaser of my child like childhood, in that moment, I knew that I wasn't going to please them to get my school paid for. Yeah. Like there's something just switched because the normal me would have basically just tried to pacify the whole situation, to exile myself to my room and just yeah. like sit there and do nothing for a week and then finally come downstairs and like pretend everything didn't happen. And mm. then then get my tuition paid. But in that moment, I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to do this for something that means so much to me. I'm gonna, I want to do it and it be done because they believe in my creativity, not because they're going to have control over my life and how I live it.
0: Wow. That's so brave.
1: Yeah. So I left the next day.
0: And in that moment, was it something you were consciously aware of? Like, I'm going to stand up for myself with this? Or was it more like, you know, I don't know what else to do. This is who I am. And therefore... I can't really do anything else other than be who I am.
1: Yeah, it was one of the moments in my life where I wasn't looking at how how deep the drop was. I was just looking at where my feet needed to go on the other side when I jumped. Mm. And so it just went into complete fight mode where I was just like, okay, cool. They're not paying for school. I need to drop out. I'm going to move out. I need to move out tomorrow. Get all my stuff together, not tell them. And then just say, I can do this on my own because I just ha- I'm going to and I have to.
0: Yeah. I guess as well, if you never dropped out, you wouldn't have met that guy. Yeah. You know, like in the cafe.
1: No, absolutely. And I would so. And the amount of things that I've accomplished in the last 10 years that have been considered the first of their kind, have been considered like things that bring people together to see art or to celebrate community. Like none of that would have come if I just made films and were trying to push them in Vancouver. Yeah. But it was like really putting my head above the parapet and being like, what's the biggest risk I could take? And I just was like, I want to move to London. I want, or New York, because those are two cities I want to live in. I couldn't move to New York, so I just figured out how to become British.
0: <laughs> figured it out. Can you yeah. teach me? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's really funny because my dad, my dad is, was born in Birmingham. Yeah. And so he always used to say, like, you could be British if you want, but I had moved out and I wasn't really speaking to my family. Yeah. I also remember that my dad told me that he named me Ryan Langey because his name was Ray Lange. And he was like, so if anything ever happens, you can use my initial and your last name. And so I just called up all of the hospitals and consulates to get their marriage license and my birth certificate pretending to be him. Wow. And then I just got all of it sent to the house I was living in and I applied for a passport and I got it. Wow. And that was pretty sneaky.
0: Is that I illegal? Told my, <laughs> so I mean, for this out?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is legal because of the fact that like it is my father and it's my birth certificate. Yeah. yeah. So, and i just just having the information. And that's so why I got it. And I gave all the documents back to my mum, but I was like, this is my passport, I'm leaving next week. And she yeah, was like, wow. what? Yeah.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's really fun. I
0: do think as well, you know, I love that. I can't quite remember the quote, but it's something like you...
1: Do or do not, there is no try. No,
0: it's, <laughs> it's something like about, you know, no no one writes about people who live kind of steady lives or whatever I can't remember oh yeah yeah it's you know like people don't write about stories about people who play by the rules basically yeah but I basically
1: yeah I know what you mean like (laughs) novels are not written about boring people yeah Um, I never thought though in those situations that I was doing really crazy things like now looking back I'm like wow that was actually pretty bold to do that and I put my parents through a lot by like Mm. I mean imagine the heartbreak of like trying to come to terms with your son's like orientation and trying to make sure he's okay. Cause you just want the best for him. Yeah. Like, my parents were quite modern. They weren't like controlling or really like tyrannical people. They were, they were kind, but they were going through their own problems as well. And they, yeah. were just trying. they just wanted their kids to be happy, but also their definition of happiness was only what they'd seen. It was before the internet. Mm. And so I think,
0: I think as well, from a parental point of view, you know, you want things to be simple and easy for your kids, right? yeah and you know if you're gay or queer or any you know transgender all these different kinds of different spaces that you can embody they don't know that world and it's really scary I think for a lot of people because they think I just want you to be safe and I know that some people persecute people who are gay and some people persecute people for how they look or the color of their skin or different things and you just want you want your children to be safe and happy right so and you
1: want the best for them as well and like when your communities are prescribing to ideas that being queer is a choice or yeah like like they they basically that's all they know Mm. and like it's only after 10 or 11 years and spending time with my my mom and having her meet my friends and seeing my world that I've built she's like oh I see why you did it this the world that you built now complements who you were as a kid and so what you were dreaming of and now that you have it's like it's actually really I can I get it I get you yeah
0: because you've been authentically you right and it's yeah. you, you can't live a life where you're hiding yourself your true yeah. self personally i think that's where a lot of depression and these kind of illnesses come from because people aren't able to be honest with themselves about who they really are yeah. and they have to spend their whole life almost like you know like you said you were doing the dual like oh I'm this person to these people and I'm this person to these people just to make sure we can keep everybody happy I don't want to rock Mm. the boat I don't and it's exhausting
1: yeah completely like it's led to a handful of breakdowns Mm. but I mean I had that infrastructure of how to survive from being a child through high school through university into adulthood Mm. and it's like and now that now that I'm at a place where what I'm doing is being celebrated and written about and attended it's like I want to make sure that it is what I'm doing and not just be doing it to please people because mm. it's it's a very trendy thing at the moment to be hosting events and curating exhibitions and throwing club nights for people for specific people mm. and for people of color or people of a certain gender or, or orientation mm. and I was like I want to bring it back slowly to art form and And looking at things like creativity and beauty and show people that like you you can please everybody but still all be together.
0: Yeah. And so how would you define knowing the difference between when you're fully people pleasing? Yeah. And when you're kind of able to please yourself and maybe the people that you you care about?
1: I think right now I'm having to ask myself, what do I want? Hmm. So when someone comes to me, whether it be for work or they come to me for an opportunity or just as a friend saying like, oh, I'm going through a hard time. I really need something. It's like, I know I can be there for them. It's my natural disposition to be like, I'll come and see you now. Yeah, I'll have a meeting tomorrow. Like I'll do it. But then I have to take time to actually be like, what is it that I want to do? When when do I want to do it? Why do I want to do it? How do I want to do it? And if it doesn't really meet those criteria, I'm going to have to say no, because I haven't asked myself that in a long time.
0: No, I feel the same. I've literally, I mean, just before we started recording, you've yeah, yeah. <laughs> seen my wall. Just over, For anyone watching on YouTube, just over there, there's a lot of po- big sheets of paper with Post-it notes all over it, all over the wall.
1: <laughs> you're <they're> over planners.
0: <laughs> I am an over planner, but also, you know, the Wealth well-being just kind of was an idea. It wasn't really well thought out. It was just like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. And then I just started doing it. And then before I knew it, it was like, snowballing and it was its own its own thing. Yeah. And I was kind of juggling all these different things right like doing reiki and energy work and then like studying to be a meditation teacher and and guiding yeah. meditations and then doing my sound healer training and like everything's been such a whirlwind like I just get so excited about stuff I'm like oh my god yeah 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 I'm going to do this oh yeah. my god and then you kind of go oh and then I've obviously got the art side of what I do with Little Billionaire and that's been totally shelved pretty much which I really miss because I've not had the time to really draw and create I'm yeah. creating in another way like you know obviously every sound bath that I do is creative it's you know intuitive and and you're you're creating something and like yeah. with all the design work that I do for well Wellbeing but it's not the same and I think there comes a point where, like you say, you have to pull back a little bit and almost take a bird's eye view and go, right, what parts of this am I doing because I genuinely enjoy them and I'm really good at it and it's like lighting up my soul. Which parts of this am I doing because people just expect me to do it now and I don't want to let people down.
1: And that's what happened because Hangama was a completely authentic and wholesome experience for me. I literally Mm. was playing music that I loved in a pub that I loved For myself. I didn't care if anyone came. I invited all my friends, but it wasn't for anyone specifically. It was like, you could literally look at the sound, the space and the person and be like, okay, it's for people in that community. But then now it's just like propelled into this thing where like you're getting all these demands and expectations and like the community has needs and has wants and they need to be protected as much as they need to be helped in a way of evolving. And like, and so it's been an interesting thing where like something that I really love to do, it turned into a business all of a sudden and you're like, yeah. actually, I re- this was fulfilling me, but now it's my job and so I need to make sure it stays as something that I want to fulfill me yeah. and that paired with needing to survive. So when people are coming up to you and saying like, oh, can you do this? We don't have a budget, but we need you to do it and it'll be a great opportunity or someone saying like, we we can't pay you this much and you're like, well, my rent is 10 times that like. I, I don't know. I can't do it. But then you do it anyway because you just don't, you have a fear that you're not going to get work in. Yeah. And then all of that pressure inside you because like you and I both started our respective businesses just believing in what we're doing and hoping that it will help us find a peace of mind and get us to a better place in this hectic city called London. And then it starts to affect other people who just want to hang out with us and that want to be with us. And they basically, they basically just, they want to hang out with us, but because we're so busy people pleasing or trying to continue what we're doing that we don't even know who we are Mm, because every time you people please, it changes who you are a bit.
0: Yep. Oh my God. That's let's rewind on that. (laughs) You can repeat that. Yeah. I mean, it really does. And it makes it difficult for you to, when you're not connected to yourself. And this is why I think meditation is so important for me. Mm. For everyone, probably. but for me, Yeah,
1: I've just started doing it quite regularly now.
0: Because when I don't, I feel like I get torn from pillar to post. And, mm. and I just... When I meditate more, I feel like I'm much more connected with what feels right for me. And that means that when I go into a situation or I get asked to do something and my intuition goes, mm, something's not right here.
1: Yeah. I
0: don't ignore it. I go... Yeah. Oh, okay something's not right here I trust myself but when I don't meditate so much sometimes my gut will be like something's not right here and I'll think oh and like you say I mean whether they know it or not this is this is the one thing that I'm kind of battling with at the moment I wonder whether people know what what they're doing or not in terms of I get asked to do a lot of stuff for free a lot yeah. and I used to do everything that I was asked to do for free yeah and then people see you and they start messaging you and going oh my god you're you're doing amazing look at your life is incredible and you're like i literally don't know how i'm going to feed myself i yeah. don't know where my my i don't know if my rent's going to get paid this month or whatever and you're exhausted because you're doing all this stuff but you're doing it all for free and then you're desperately trying to grapple little bits of cash from other places and then you're almost forced sometimes into doing things that you didn't actually want to do, but you need the money. And it is literally to the point of, well, if I don't pay my rent, I'm going to get kicked out of my flat. And so if this person's offering me money, maybe it doesn't quite align with what I want to do. But for now it's literally survival at that point. And that then puts you in a really awkward position because especially with what we're both doing, Authenticity and truth to me is so important in in yeah. what I'm doing, and I think there's a lot of people manipulating in the world in general, but especially in the well being industry at the moment. I'm seeing a lot of, you know, this weird sort of spiritual pressure being put onto people, and like, yeah. I don't know, like if you if you don't do all of these things and you're not having your green juice and you're, yeah. you're not eat, having turmeric and you, I don't know, you're not using I don't know. You're just, there's all this sort of like pressure on people. And it's like, you need to let go of all of that stuff. Yeah. And just tune into like your truth and follow you know, that.
1: everyone Everyone's trying to figure out how to be a free spirit, but also follow their dreams. Yeah. And it's like following your dreams can also imprison you in a way because mm. you have to dream big, you have to take big risks in order to do it. And you have to not limit yourself and like believe in yourself and be confident. But like, that doesn't give you a free spirit your dreams will usually like shackle you quicker than you think. Mm. And so by meditating, this is something I've just realized. And I've also like noticed this in my partner as well, is that like taking time to pause and step back from it and then having your own independent world that you can live in quietly by yourself is so important. And so most people who are stressed out and taking on too much and people pleasing, like, like what I've done recently is literally just cancel everything in the diary. Mm. Like I just looked for the last three weeks, just canceled anything that wasn't a paycheck. Yeah. And the amount of free time I just immediately had, like it wasn't like next week or tomorrow I have a meeting and next week I have an event and then I have another event. It literally just turned into, I actually have three hours right now to walk home and listen to a podcast because I don't have to do anything until next week. Mm. and like the emails stopped like the text messages stopped the whatsapp stopped and like it just the space was made mm. and then like and then i just found some time to like go to the gym and go to have a steam and then everything just sort of cleared up in my head and like the problems i realized were just only in my head nothing else yeah. bad was happening yeah and it's because i was i was doing too much regardless of people please just work overworking in general that i was i started i was panicking inside but not telling anyone
0: I find that as well. It's difficult. And especially with the platform that I'm creating, right. In terms of, I, I try to be as honest as I can about my mental health, but sometimes when I'm having a dip, I feel so vulnerable in that moment that the last thing I want to do is like get on an Instagram story and be like, Hey guys, you know, my brain is <laughs> really on the, you know, yeah. I'm having Everything. suicidal thoughts again or whatever. Right. Because you feel so vulnerable and so delicate yeah. in that moment that you're not able to necessarily share in real time. But what I've found is what I'll do in those moments is I'll start to write and I'll jot down everything and then I'll put that information out. But maybe when I'm feeling a little bit stronger yeah. within myself so that I'm yeah. not, I realise you don't have to do everything in real time. And I think that's another thing of people pleasing, right, is that it's almost like everything has to happen now, right, right. now. Yeah. And that if you don't do it now, there'll be no other opportunity or there'll be, I don't know, something bad's going to happen. Like if you yeah. say no to somebody, they're not going to like you or they're going to reject you or they won't ask you again or whatever.
1: That's all um, loss. Like, yeah. like loss will happen.
0: But what I'm realising, the more that I come into this abundant mindset, which I know a lot again that is kind of like a buzzword at the moment so I don't even really like saying it out loud but I don't really know how else to describe it but this thing of like if not this something better yeah you know and and actually like you say looking at things really objectively and being more realistic about because the other thing that I'm dreadful for is say if someone wants me to do a talk or do a presentation or something and I'll be like I'll look in my diary and I think yeah I can do that I have that evening free but I don't actually think about the fact that I have to write the talk I have to research the talk I have to practice the talk I might have to create slides for the talk
1: yeah
0: I might have to you know I don't know do some kind of back and forth with the venue about what I need and all you know like my av and actually think yeah. about that stuff and have I got my clicker and are things chart you know I might have to charge things before I go and do I need my laptop and all this kind of thinking time and creating time that happens outside of the delivery of what I'm doing yeah I don't actually think about I just look at oh yeah that looks fun I'll do that yeah no problem yeah and then I'm like oh shit that's not one hour talk that's you know 12 hours of prep and a one-hour talk or 20 hours of prep and a one-hour thing mm-hmm. right so it's
1: like well that happened to that... me as well because basically I, I was asked recently to do a talk at the tape and I was yeah. like yeah of course dreamt of doing that can't believe the tape asked me to do a talk so so wonderful signed up for it and then like eventually got the theme started to plan and then it wasn't until I was doing the talk where I just realized that it wasn't for me like I was in the talk and I was like, I actually shouldn't be speaking right now. Someone else should be speaking. Wow. And so I was standing there and I was like, you were in this situation because you said yes and you didn't take the time to figure out whether or not this is what you needed to do. And like, obviously I gave a good speech. It was about memories and the importance of memories and art and stuff. But I was like, as I guess I could speak about it as a curator, but in relation to the work that we were speaking about and relation to the moment that we're having, like I felt like I felt like I could have offered the opportunity to someone else. And it's Mm. happened on a panel as well where, with the success of Hungarama people were were asking me to like join this panel, talk about club culture or safe spaces. And and at that time I was like, yeah, I'll do anything so people come to my night and see how great Mm. it is. But now it's like, I don't actually want everybody there. My night is very specific to a certain kind of person. And like it is in the middle of East London subculture and mainstream clubbing. Mm. And like, I want it, it needs to stay that way. As soon as too many people come, and it's going to turn into something that it shouldn't be. It's going to be an app that it won't be as safe as it is. And Mm -hmm. also it will become really commodified. And so when I was on that panel, I was like looking back now, I think about how I was talking really optimistically about my night and in a way where I wasn't really feeling the urgency in order to protect safe spaces the way the other panelists were. They were Mm -hmm. like, we need these spaces. It is important. These people need a voice. And so I just looked like a prick on that panel. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, in retrospect, I should really think about what it's about and whether I need to be there, and not just say yes to it. I just say yes to everything.
0: I like that idea as well. Of when you say yes to everything, you're actually potentially taking opportunities away from other people.
1: Because mm-hmm.
0: it's nice to be asked, right? Like it is nice to be asked when 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 people reach out to you and stuff. But I had the same with the vice thing. I was so nervous about doing that. I thought mm, tapping can be seen as a bit odd yeah vice historically i mean i've been a fan of vice since the first ever issue came out i was living in manchester and i remember they i I worked in this quite sort of cool bar basically and they came and said oh this is our new magazine and you know it's free and whatever and and i was like cool and i remember reading it and being like wow this blew my mind but they historically have a tongue-in-cheek take the piss you know yeah don't make something
1: seem foolish
0: yeah, and I was a bit like, I, I take my work really sincerely. I don't take myself really seriously, to be honest. Mm. Like, I like, I can have a laugh about it. Spirituality can be funny sometimes, right? But I do take it sincerely, mm. and I don't want somebody to like mock what is actually a really powerful healing tool because it's yeah. misunderstood. And so it took me a while, and I, I was sort of back and forth with the woman a little bit and asking various questions until I was really comfortable with what they're take on it was going to be and what their angle was going to be and actually i was really nervous doing that back and forth because i thought you're going to mess up this opportunity what if they you know stop asking so many questions you should just how many people would want to be you know have that opportunity to do a documentary advice you know that's yeah. a big deal for you and then i sort of like i guess my meditative voice came in and was like but this might not be your opportunity yeah do you know what i mean like this could be I know everyone says all PR is good PR, whatever, but like this could be damaging to your brand. This could make you look really foolish and like you don't know what you're talking about or could actually put people off using this technique, which is really powerful and really, really um, helpful to people. So that back and forth, I think there, I started getting my confidence a little bit more, like you say, to kind of ask questions like, well, what's your angle on this? And where's it going to be used and how's it going to be promoted? And, and who to and what's the point, you know, yeah. what's, what's your thread of what, what are you trying to get out here? And then I was comfortable with that and I think it came out well. Yeah. But too often, I think, and again, when you're really busy, too often you don't have the time to think about whether it's a good opportunity or not or run it through. I, I kind of want to create one of these things, you know, like when you get used to do like, I don't know, Glamour or Cosmopolitan magazine or whatever, and it would be like, which lipstick is perfect colour for you? And it would be like, you know. Yeah. Which you...
1: sync band member are you going to date?
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah, right? Yeah. And you'd go through that process of like, yes, no, and then it would take you down to the next question, yes, no. I'm like, I kind of feel like I need that for when people come to me i i that's exactly that's
1: exactly what we're doing like it's exactly what one should do is like put together that thought process yeah. in order to figure out what they need and whether they should do it yeah and so for me it's been difficult because like i said at the beginning of this podcast it's like i i was bred to be a people pleaser by my mom like yeah she would she would be like my life is like this. I need to do this. I'm worried about this. I can't believe your father hasn't done this. And like, I wish someone would help me do this. and I would do all of that. But then I never once asked myself what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so now how I'm counteracting that is like, if I have someone who's like, I really want to go and do this to this event, but I want to go to this party. And then I also want to go see this film. And I normally be like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll make myself free and come and do it. Like now I'm like taking a moment thinking about how much work I want to do, what I could possibly do that evening. Like what, what I want to do that evening and like whether I have time to even do it, what I'll feel like in the morning and then just making a decision based on that.
0: Mm. Do you have a set of questions or something that you run it through? Is there like a standard or you just kind of do it, you know, as the, as and when things come in?
1: Well, I think for socially, it's basically, I ask myself like, do I want to be there? How much money will I spend if I'm there? How long will it take me to get there and get back? I think about the weather and, but then some, and then with work. <laughs>
0: Sorry, when you said about the weather, do you remember when we went to that gallery show? Oh my god,
1: I forgot about that.
0: <laughs> and it was chucking it down with rain, and we were so lost. Where were we in Birmingham?
1: We were in Birmingham, we 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 and we got at Birmingham station and just walked the <laughs> long way towards the gallery.
0: And then you slipped on that banana skin. Do you remember?
1: Yeah, and, I do but remember you that. went.
0: <laughs> it was the funniest thing. I was like laughing, and because you were so happy, you were like, "This is like." <laughs> Real Only life cause, cartoon. <laughs> yeah, because I slipped
1: on a banana peel, and I was like, "That is a total bucketless moment that I wanted in my life." <laughs> to Slip on a banana peel, and you were just laughing, but you were soaking wet.
0: Oh, we were drenched. I don't think. That was we were... so funny. And we got to the gallery, and everyone looked so smooth, and we were just like, <laughs> "Absolutely."
1: Yeah. That was so funny.
0: Sorry, bit of a segue. No, I mean, that, that was that such serious... a good night, though.
1: Yeah, weather. That's probably the reason I say that as well. Because like, I was, I wanted to see you. You were like, "I'll come to the gallery with you." And like, I was trying to people please, you wanted to see me, I wanted to see the exhibition, I wanted to see my boyfriend, I wanted to get there and then get to another place. And you had to run away quite quickly as well. But I was trying to do all of it. And then when the weather was bad, I was getting upset that you were in a situation where you were wet, I was wet, we were rushing. And, like, it wasn't enjoyable until I stepped over the banana peel.
0: <laughs> that was really funny. Acted, <laughs> that's a perfect
1: story for this.
0: Yeah, but also I think it's a good – because I'm dreadful for that as well. Often I'll get asked to do multiple things in an evening. Like, prime example, supposed to be in a different city for someone's birthday and someone asked me if I could cover their gong session. And I was genuinely trying to calculate in my head, like, okay, well – I need to be at the party for like eight and it will only take me an hour on the train and da, da, da. And, the, and then I'm like what are you doing you can't go to run a gong event and then take your what take all your equipment to a party in another city on the train like it's so heavy and what like and in the end i was just like i'm I'm really sorry i can't do the gong event right i'm gonna be at this birthday it's like in in the diary for a really long time and i was like why do you always try and do this like that's one big thing like you need to pack an overnight bag you've got to go and get on a train you've got to do you know what i mean all that that stuff is like that is one thing you don't need to be adding anything else to that that's
1: that's working rachel that's like that's working Rachel and then there's Rachel and it's like mm. you need to be able to separate those two things and it's like yeah. who do I want to be that night do I want to be Ryan or do I want to be Ryan fashion curator and founder of Pangama it's like yeah it's, there's, one's taxing one's fulfilling one involves a lot of alcohol one involves a lot of organization and it's like God, if I try to do <laughs> no blending the two is chaos like it's like <laughs> oh I'm gonna go like tr- I remember someone asked me to go to a dinner and I was like, yeah, I'll come. And then I was like, I, "And they're like, we're having cocktails afterwards. And I was like, oh, but it's a Hangama that night. They're like, "We'll come to the dinner first. And you're like, actually, that's you wanting me to be there. And mm. I, I, my natural disposition is to be like, cool, I'll come to the dinner. I can't stay that late. I probably won't even eat. And I'll spend more money than I actually bought food. And then I'll run to Hangama, stress out if someone's late. I'll get mad at the kids who are literally coming there to have fun and make some money. I'll get mad at them if things go wrong because I was rushed. Yeah. And so it's just like figuring out how you're inhibiting your ability just to stay calm.
0: Yeah. And I think that's another great point on people pleasing as well, and in the sense of when you're trying to keep everybody else happy and you're becoming depleted, but you're still trying to keep everyone happy. Yeah. So you don't tell anyone that you're becoming depleted and you're still trying to keep everyone happy and you get it and that's basically how my breakdown happened. I'm I'm almost can guarantee that is pretty much
1: yeah, the, the I mean, recipe that, that, of
0: what happened before I have my breakdown is because I just said yes to everyone to everything all the time, and it's just not sustainable.
1: No, it's not. And I find that I become full of dark energy, and I start seething when I'm in situations for other people, and I don't want to be there. Mm. And then I start to snap at them,
0: and, and I, and I build resentment. Like, it's almost like that anger that you have towards yourself, for not, for not saying no turns into outward anger towards other people
1: yeah exactly and so basically like the the moral is just for everyone to spend time on their own not necessarily be alone it's like spend time doing what you want to do and if that involves another group of people or another event or another experience like go and do that Mm. because when you come back your friends will like you more
0: (laughs) but I think also don't be afraid to do things on your own yeah, like, totally. I sometimes take myself to the cinema. I love actually, this is i I'm done that too. Like, I went, I love going to cinema by myself, not all the time. It's nice to go with friends as well. I'm not like some creepy weirdo that just goes and sits in the back row of the cinema by myself, but mm-hmm. like I think it's that thing of I love popcorn for a start, and so I like getting a big thing of popcorn and I
1: don't have to share it with anyone. Oh my god, <laughs> such crazy. a great moment.
0: But then it's like you're in the, that space. And no one can contact you. Your phone's off because, you know, you can't have your phone going off in the cinema or theatre. Sometimes I go to the theatre as well. I went to see Women in Black, actually, on my own. That's the last thing I went to see. But sometimes it's nice to, like, I just, I wanted to go to, you know, when I go to the cinema, it's usually because I want to be by myself and I don't want anyone to bother me and I want to be entertained. And, you know, that's that. When I go to the theatre or something, sometimes it's because genuinely... I really wanted to go and see that show and I asked quite a few people and no one was free or no one wanted to go and I thought, you know what, sod it? And I got dressed up as if I was going on a date and I put my lipstick on and everything and I looked slick and then I got there and this homeless guy said to me like, oh, hot, hot, you look great, hot date. And I was like, nope. And he's like, where are you going, meeting your friends? I was like, nope. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to the theatre by myself. And he went, oh, that's a bit sad, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, no, it's not a bit sad. And I thought, don't try and rain on my parade, man. Like That's I was definitely. having a really good time. So I got there and like watched watched the theatre show, and I came home and I and I felt really good. I felt really lit up
1: because yeah,
0: otherwise I was going to miss the the show. You know, like, they because don't I I
1: I remember that I wanted to go see a Quiet Place, that film with Emily Blunt and John Krasinski, and like with where they're like that family and. It's like their family, it's, it's important to this anecdote, but their they're family that lives in this post-apocalyptic world where if you make a noise, these creatures will come and kill you. Oh, wow. It was like, it was like a horror movie. It's really, it's really like, like silence horror. I went and saw that on my own. So I was in a movie theater by myself, like with a whole bunch of other people, but there wasn't any noise in the movie. Mm. So like in all the most t- like tenuous and stressful parts of the film, like there just wasn't sound. And wow. so I'm sitting there quietly eating popcorn. I just became so aware of myself. Yeah. And I was having this weird exercise of being like, It's okay to be making noise in a space where everyone is being quiet and watching something because everyone's collectively aware of the fact that we're all experiencing something together and if you're eating popcorn as a part of that experience. Yeah. And I was just like, Okay, no, you're just overthinking. You just need to enjoy a <laughs> film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's so intense
1: I know, but it's so. funny
0: where the mind goes and, and you know like i talk a lot about this in when i'm teaching meditation and stuff you know you can have the thought but then you're like the observer of the thought yeah and so rather than getting stuck in that like mad loop of being like oh i can't enjoy myself now being able to step out of that and be like it's okay yeah you know, it's okay to just eat my popcorn in a movie theater that's fine
1: like, yeah you know, and but gonna... when when you're a, like a compulsive people pleaser you're basically like I'm eating this popcorn. It's really loud. I should be here because I shouldn't have come on my own. And then mm. you're like, I should have been there with to my with my friend who wanted me to go to that dinner tonight. But I'm in this movie theater interrupting everyone else's experience. And yeah. like, that's that is people pleasing in one way is going and doing something for someone else. But people pleasing when you're an overthinker and like you're sitting there being like, how can I make everyone else happy? And and because everyone else needs to be okay, I don't want to upset anyone else.
0: Wow. Like
1: when you're just literally trying to find peace of mind watching a movie by yourself.
0: I I just had an aha moment because I'd never thought of people pleasing like that. And that's definitely something that I do. Like, I'm always conscious of making sure that everyone else is good Mm -hmm. before I am. Like, and that's partly I get enjoyment out of that as well. Like, oh, I want to make sure, you know, I love having dinner parties. I love having people around. I love, like, making sure everyone's, like, fed and watered and happy and stuff like that. But I think you're right. It gets, if you're not careful, it gets into quite a damaging loop.
1: Yeah, and it gets into your subconscious, so you start doing it just to exist. You don't even mm. do it. You're not even. It, do, it doesn't mean somebody needs to call you or ask you to be somewhere. It doesn't it has nothing to do with your schedule. It's like you'll you you'll wake up and start doing it without realizing it.
0: Mm. Wow. So I'm conscious of time as ever. I could talk to you for ages.
1: Here.
0: <laughs> my problem. I look at the clock and I go, ah, I haven't <laughs> questions. i was going to ask. So what have you learned about people pleasing? What kind of tips can you give people that? Have helped
1: you. Well, the best advice I've been given recently is to meditate, Mm. and like meditating is not wasting time. Meditating, I think the way that I've started to use it is like a lot of people are like, you just need to close your eyes, meditate, and I find that really annoying. But I think the best way to say is like you should just sit down and be alone with your thoughts for a minute and ask yourself Mm. which ones you're, which ones are real and which ones are fake and which ones are trying to make you feel a certain way because it's all in your head. You're making them all up, Mm -hmm. and so you get to decide which which ones in your subconscious actually connect to reality. Mm-hmm. That's where I've gotten a lot of peace of mind. Lessons that I've learned. It's okay to say no. And and you actually should say no to everything and then say yes. Yeah. And then say yes once it's right for you. The other thing is make sure you find time to do things that you want. Like, because if you, if you're a really busy person, which I know that you and I both are, like you were saying, you're going to go from a gong bath to a, to a birthday party in another city it's like you also need to account for time that you need to just decompress yeah and rest and like i've noticed other people do it where they're like oh well i'm gonna i finish work at this time i'm gonna go home eat some dinner and rest and then i'll come meet you i always started to get annoyed by the rest part of it Mm. i was like why don't you just come straight there you can be there early but it's like i'm starting to realize how important it is to come home and chill or go somewhere and just calm down and then go and embark on the other person that i am so it's like Mm. from working ryan to socializing ryan or partner ryan or friend ryan it's like they all need time to transition
0: Mm. i love that idea and i think it is really important as well like i sometimes when i'm doing big like energy-based events i remember when i did the chakra series it would take me about two hours after the event to be in any kind of space to be chill
1: <laughs> like mm-hmm.
0: I would just be so well I'd been channeling energy for like two and a half hours you know for 30 people and holding that space by the yeah. time I'd like pack down the event got all my equipment home got everything you know up the six friggin flights of stairs of my flat. Oh, my. <laughs> you know you kind of sit there and then you're like okay well now I need to go to bed because I've got to get up tomorrow but actually you're like <sighs> everything's like still going and you need time to decompress from that and I think that's something that I've really learned that I'm starting to really build into my schedule is more just kind of like oh if you've got that event you can't really do another event after that yeah yeah, sometimes I'll do two gongs in a day but usually it'll be like one at lunchtime and then one at six or seven p.m at night so I've got plenty of time in between just to kind of decompress and get myself in the right headspace to do that again but that's quite a rare occasion but yeah I wouldn't I used to try and do back to back to back to back and I've got to stop doing that because it just it doesn't serve anybody by the time you're doing the last thing in the day you're not really your best self anymore
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so cool so finally what do you wish you'd known About, I mean, we've covered so much in this. So, I mean, you could tell us what you wish you'd known about people pleasing, what you wish you'd known about being gay and Asian, what you wish you'd known about being an art curator, what you wish you'd known about whatever. But what things do you wish you'd known that you now know?
1: I think to harmonize all of those like situations that I've gone through or have come to terms with is that I wish I knew being a child that it was it was okay and it was allowed to do anything and be anything. Yeah. And like, if that happened, it would have alleviated so much worry so or stress and pressure. So if I were to say, no, I can't help you do this, say mom. And she would be like, okay, that's fine. Or it would be like, no, I don't like girls. Okay, that's fine. Or no, I don't want to go to business school. I want to be a filmmaker. And they're like, okay, that's fine. It was like, everything always had to be a battle. So I always had to feel like I had to overcome a lot mm-hmm. in order to get what I wanted and then so just having to do that my whole life turned me in, uh, into a place of pleasing people and panicking and always having to feel like I'm going to lose it mm. and like and to so that has so I wish I'd known then that you won't lose it if people love you and if they like care about you and respect you you're going to be fine because they'll accept you for who you are and you will be celebrated no matter what
0: wow such a good insight and I totally agree <laughs> totally agree so is there anything else you wish I'd asked you or anything you wanted to share or cover that I didn't didn't ask?
1: No, that was really fun I'm so glad I caught up with you I do want to go on a date with you
0: <laughs> yes okay can
1: we, can we go see a movie or but a I need play? to that on my own <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I just got rejected
0: <laughs> <laughs> but no we should definitely go mm-hmm. go on a date let's make that plan off of air <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so so much for joining me as ever and um, there'll be links to how to find Brian and the hunger mar events when's your next event
1: next event is november 29th and then we'll be having one on january 4th
0: so november 29th 29th depending when you are listening to this 2019
1: yeah <laughs> and yeah and, and january then- 4th 2020
0: 2020 mm, That's an exciting yeah exactly. year. i hope it's not going to be like the drink 2020 that i used to do
1: <laughs> no. i think it's going to be something really universe i think a lot of people are going through intense shifts right now because i think next mm. year is going to be quite powerful for people
0: i'm excited about next year i've got good vibes about it
1: yeah same here
0: um we need to get you back on and we can do we can do a podcast about like vibes in the moon and stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, what we can do is we can screen this one and then have a commentary of us talking about what we were saying to each other. That oh would be God, really that's fun.
0: Actually cool. Yeah, let's like, do that. Like we can do
1: our own Google Google box well and well being.
0: <laughs> I think I would die. I be bar- <laughs> I barely listen back or uh, apart from when I have to, like, because obviously I'll listen to it all the way through to edit and stuff. But yeah, I try not to, I find it really like Ooh! still awkward to watch myself and and hear myself it's crazy well you look
1: crazy
0: oh thank you thanks (laughs) I dress up especially for you (laughs) right let's stop flirting I have to go okay (laughs) thank you so much to everyone for listening if you want to find Ryan what's the best way to find you Instagram
1: Instagram at Miss Landry or just find Ryan Landry somewhere and you'll find me
0: yeah, if you Google them, it's got lots of press out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, guys. And I will see you again next week.
1: Much love. Bye.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more about my work through one-to-one sessions, corporate well-being, or even coming and joining me on my yoga and sound healing retreats in Morocco, then please check out my website, www welfordwellbeing.com. And remember, you can always follow me on social media at welfordwellbeing over on Instagram and Facebook, and like, subscribe, and share on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube.